the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon. Welcome. It is the 17th of June. That makes it a Wednesday by my calculations. And just at 5 after the hour of 5 p.m., welcome. Good to have you with us for another edition of Lifeline. Craig Roberts here each Monday through Friday from 5 until 7 p.m. as we address issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. All right, pretty uh, pretty intense program planned for you today. Uh, we thought we'd give you a break from the norm of the mundane world in which we live, right? Oh, boy, wouldn't we like to have a moment of mundane? I'll even take two moments of mundane if, any, if anybody is serving it up. My goodness. It's an interesting uh, time in which we live, an interesting crossroad, no doubt, in world history. And as we're all trying to sort of struggle to make sense of it all, there are some important lessons that I think we as human beings, certainly, and certainly those of us that are part of the body of Christ, that we need to really seriously take a little personal inventory of. You know, we've... um, Often on this program, down through the years, when we talked about the need for revival, often quoted Second Chronicles 7.14. And that notion of God asking us, called by his name, to humble ourselves and to pray, to turn from our wicked ways and seek his face. And then, of course, he would hear from heaven and heal our land. And certainly our land needs to be healed in so many aspects. We're looking at news again today of um, a number of significant spikes across the country of COVID-19. We're not out of the woods yet. And uh, I know there are some folks that love to sort of just count this up for fake news and things of that sort. But the harsh reality is this is the world in which we live. And your unwillingness to believe in it doesn't make it any less real. I mean, think of the atheist. Does God disappear because the atheist doesn't believe in him? Of course not. So some important lessons to be discussed today, we as the church, and I've invited a couple of guests to be with us today. One, certainly a dear friend that you will recognize. She's been a guest many times down through the years on this program. Most recently, she led us in our multi-week, multiple-month Bible study series called The Freedom Challenge, 60 Days to Untie the Cords That Bind You. She is not only a um, multi-award-winning author, but also the founding and lead pastor of Tribes Church, clear back in Rockford, Michigan, Pastor Don Scott Damon. Pastor, always good to have you with us. Thank you so much. It's such a joy. I consider myself part of a family now, so thank you for having me back. 
Absolutely. Good to have you back and, uh, and, and a family that's growing. You brought a special guest with you, um, and uh, we're pleased to have joining us the, uh, the co-pastor of your congregation there in Rockford. He's also, coincidentally, the founder and CEO of the Leadership Development Consultancy Culture Creative, Pastor Julian Newman. Pastor Newman, welcome. I'm very excited to be here, and uh, thank you for having me and having us. Boy, we've got some uh, we've got some stuff tough to talk about today, and there's been a lot going on in the news. And I thought maybe to sort of set the platform or the stage for our discussion today, I I play a little bit of audio, and some of you may have already heard this, um, and if you haven't, you need to hear it. And let me say at the onset here that um, this is not intended to put any sort of a, a unkind focus or spotlight on the pastor who made these remarks, Louis Giglio, um, pastor of Passion City Church in Atlanta, but rather, I think, to, to help us all hopefully better understand that words matter and that there are attitudes out there that we carry, particularly as white Americans, dare I say even as white evangelicals, that, that oftentimes demonstrate the degree to which right now in this season it's probably a better time for us to be listening than it is to be talking. Let me first play this snippet of audio. This was part of a symposium that took place recently at Passion City. And there were a number of invited guests on the dais, one that did not attend because of a last-minute illness was the uh, the niece of Martin Luther King Jr., Alveda King, who you know has been a guest on this program many, many times down through the years. And they, they set about a discussion of the topic of what's happening in America in relationship to not just the George Floyd killings, but racism in America. And in an attempt to try and sort of, I think, help us understand what this issue of white privilege is all about, Pastor Giglio kind of gave us his take on it, and sadly, it kind of went off the rails pretty quickly. Give a listen. The other side of it is true with our nation's history. We miss, we understand the curse that was slavery, mm-hmm. white people do, and we say that was bad. But we miss the blessing of slavery, that it actually built up the framework for the world that white people live in and lived in. And so a lot of people call this white privilege, and when you say those two words, it just is like a fuse goes off for a lot of white people because they don't want somebody telling them to check their privilege. And so I know that you and I both have struggled in these days with, hey, if the phrase is the trip up, let's get over the phrase and let's get down to the heart. Let's get down to what then do you want to call it. And I think maybe a great thing for me is to call it white blessing, that I'm living in the blessing of the curse that happened generationally Mm -hmm. that allowed me to grow up in Atlanta. And it, it goes on from there, and and I suppose at some point as you listen to that and probably cringed, you're thinking um, you probably, the pastor probably was hoping for a trap door 
under the stage at that point and that somebody, anybody, would please do him a favor and press the button. They did not. And and I suppose, and let me turn first to Pastor Damon, I, I suppose in some ways, you know, we're we're struggling to make sense of this. This has been a ugly skeleton in the closet of America for all too long. And I think at the end of the day, trying to step out of ourselves and our viewpoint, and what's the old adage about, you know, walk a mile in another man's shoes, is something that I guess a lot of a lot of Americans are really struggling with right now. And even as we try from a pastoral standpoint to kind of, and I hesitate to put a spin on it and say put a spin on it, but but to kind of try to bring a little bit of clarity to this subject matter, sometimes we wind up making things worse. Yeah, I just can't help but feel for Pastor Giglio. You know, we know his heart, and I think, you know, he his statements are, were certainly meant to be helpful. But this is just another case in point when the Church is unprepared for this congregate, this conversation. The Church is unprepared, and we need to get in this conversation. We need to become educated. We need, as you said at the beginning of the show, to be listeners, to be learners, to be students. I think it's a good place for us to stop being leaders and the commentators and just to listen and to learn and to be educated. I taught a message at my church uh, a couple weeks ago, and I used James 119. I gave them, here's the formula right now. It says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We call it q one S2, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. This is not a time for us to be tellers. It is definitely a time for us to be listeners, and the Church has to become aware. We need an awakening. We can no longer ignore or dismiss or choose to opt out on this conversation. It's all too important. And I think what makes his remarks troubling, and and in full fairness, he did the next day apologize in response mm-hmm. to um, a, a a storm of controversy. And I'll, uh, for the benefit of listeners, share that a little bit later on in the program. But I but I think to kind of put this in perspective here, one of the things that I felt troubling, not just the the attempt to sort of equate it with a good thing. Um, I mean, I, you know, when we think of blessing, we, we typically think of blessing as being that which comes from God. And, of course, if you carry that to its full conclusion, we're suggesting, what, that slavery was a blessing that came from God? Well, I guess if you were on the ownership side, maybe so. But there's two sides to this. And for the other side, it is just steeped with hostility and pain and loss and 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 embarrassment and I you know there's not enough adjectives to to really describe here and and I think in particularly the thing that I sort of zeroed in on and Pastor Newman I'd like to get your your response to this we for so long meaning we in white America in white evangelical America have worked hard to either diminish the problem, ignore the problem, push the side of the problem away, say that it's somebody else's side, soften the language, or do anything we can to not only not accept any responsibility, but then, too, to sort of attempt to deflect any of the sense of guilt. I mean, for example, he, he makes the remark in there about, well, you know, 
sometimes language is such that, you know, people sort of feel triggered. Uh, and, quote, the fuse goes off for a lot of white people because they don't want somebody telling them to check their privilege. So I think maybe a great thing for me is to call it white blessing. And that in the surface for me just seems as if we're, we're once again trying to skirt any sense of ownership here. What, what, what's your reaction to that, Pastor Newman? Well, I think, um, I mean, I can agree with what Don is saying. And sometimes we have to be students and learners. And, and you know, I think many of us that have been ministry for any amount of time, we have appreciated um, his ministry over the course of years. And so he's done a lot of good work, um, you know, the passion movement, uh, you know, years ago. And But it's important to recognize that we don't always have to be at the leader of every conversation. So there's a certain grace that God puts on my life and on Dawn's life and on yours and other people. Sometimes we have to defer to someone else. And one of the things I think I've seen with a lot of my white brothers and sisters that are people in positions of prominence is that they want to take that uh, prominence in one space and apply it to this conversation and they really don't know. Um, it, it, it's, um, it, it's similar to, you know, the, the, there's a documentary that just came out on ESPN, The Last Dance, that talked about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls and everything. Michael Jordan was the greatest athlete in the world when he was playing basketball, but when he was playing baseball, he wasn't the best. And so just because you have a grace to be excellent in one arena does not mean it's applied to every arena. And so what I would have liked to see um, uh, Pastor Giglio say is not speak as a teacher, but to speak of as a man, his own individual journey, his own uh, wrestling with the reality of what does it mean to be privileged in America as a white person? What does it mean to defer and listen to other voices? And how this has been something that he's coming into a greater level of revelation in. And so there's nothing wrong with that. You know, there's nothing wrong with with um, showing a measure of deference or humility because it's necessary. And so as he was trying to stumble through, and like he's talked about the trap door, um, it's, it would almost have been better for him to stop in the middle and say, you know what? I probably need to listen more than I'm talking right now. And so the privilege and the blessing and all those things, and, and I think it's important for us to just be in relationship. You know, one of the reasons why we're on this call together, Donna and myself, is because of the, the connection that we've had over the course of years. And so as we're navigating this complicated conversation, it's important for us to be in community with other people that have different experiences, different perspectives, and different realities and histories that we do. That's how we grow and that's how we learn. And, you know, I suppose at the end of the day, too, when you get a chance to know somebody and you develop a relationship with them and then you start to work side by side, pray together, break bread together, work on projects together, whatever it might be. And slowly over time, that relationship goes from friendship to becoming a Christ-centered love. It's hard to hate somebody that you love if you see them through Christ's eyes. And, and maybe one of the biggest gaps we have here, and, and, and ironically what seems to be sort of one of many of the traits of people that are 
demonstrative of tremendous degrees of racism or prejudice, and that is whoever their target is, they don't know them. They know nothing about them whatsoever, and therefore it's easy to be dismissive to downright nasty. And, uh, you know, it, it's interesting. Uh, as you were talking, I was thinking that as a talk show host, as as pastors, you both have this experience. We're, we're in the business of words and wordsmithing and speaking. And how many, even for all of us, that if during times maybe... Pastor Damon of loss, when we have a friend who's experienced maybe the, the loss of a child or a spouse, and we say, Lord, give us the words to speak. Um, fill my mouth with your words. Give me the right thing to say. And it just dawns on me that rarely do we ever pray the prayer, Lord, teach me to shut up. <laughs> Father, Father, please put a seal on my lips because if I'm talking, I can't be hearing. And right now, this is a time when a lot of us need to shut up. Yes. <laughs> you know, just what we described just now is, and Pastor Julian, you said it so well, that sometimes we are so used to being the leaders in conversation. And I'm going to go ahead and put it out there a little bit. Sometimes uh, our white privilege or white access, what whatever we are going to call it, we think that we have to be on top of this conversation. We have to share our opinion. We have to know everything, especially as pastors. You know, over two-thirds of all American pastors spoke out against this racism in their services on Sunday, um, May 31st and June 7th, but they got a, a black person that they could find to sit and have this deep conversation, and it, it just seemed a little bit patronizing in some ways, mm. but but I understand the heart, and I appreciate the heart, but truly this is a time for humility. This is not a time to be dominant. This is not a time to have the last word. Uh, Pastor Julian and I just did a forum Sunday evening, a conversation. We opened it up, and of course there were those that just had to have the last word, so the next day we get... <laughs> The, the deflection, but, yeah, but, yeah, we heard what you said, but what about this? What about that? And whenever there's a lot of pushback, I find that I'm probably speaking to a person who has a, a tender spot here, some, some unintentional bias, probably some, uh, I'm not going to say prejudice, I don't want to judge that, but just a lot of unawareness, and they have having cognitive dissonance because we're saying something that is rattling their whole frame of reference and life experience, but truth nonetheless. Can, can we fairly, this question posed to both of you, can we fairly, in this case, call it maybe closer to what it is, and that is sin? And I ask that question because I, I, I know, and I think we've all done it, we, we negotiate with God. You know, we, we do something, we say something that we know at the end of the day is not honoring to him. And so we, we, we apologize and ask the Lord to forgive us. Maybe we even uh, have enough gumption, if we've offended another, to go to them and ask for forgiveness. But always in the back of our mind, there's somehow that sense of negotiation by saying, well, you know, but it could have been worse. You know, I, I only stole $10. It could have been 10000 <laughs> You know, as if somehow we're going to diminish it here. I mean, I've heard, for example, a lot of white people and even even leadership to get up, well, there's my African-American friend, as if somehow we're going to find a little endorsement here 
that makes our complicity, complicity in silence a little bit less, so we take on a little less guilt, so we feel a little less bad, and therefore try to make it a little bit less than what it actually is. Doesn't a lot of that sound like the hallmarks of the way we often negotiate with God when we deal with our, our own sin nature <laughs> in the face of his righteousness? Mm-hmm. Well, Go ahead, Joanne. I, well, I was just going to say that um, you, you, you are speaking to uh, this whole conversation what sin, sin is. And so when we talk about racism, we have to understand that uh, the Scriptures let us know that um, the love of, out of the love of money are many kinds of evil. And so at the root of racism is uh, a scarcity mindset it's rooted in greed. And the whole reason that we look at the foundation of America and the slave trade and the uh, Native American conquest and all those things was because of the love of money. And that was at the foundation of everything that happened, um, the atrocities and injustices that have uh, spanned over the course of years. And so the question now is, what are we going to do? You know, we, we talked about these particular issues. We've blame shifted, as you said. Um, but are we going to face them? Because if we face them, then we have the opportunity to fix them. And so the question is, uh, who's our model? And, of course, our model is Jesus. And so as, as Dawn and I have had many conversations about you know, privilege and opportunity that uh, you know, our white brothers and sisters have, there's this conversation of I'm going to divest myself of the privilege that has been afforded to me. Um, I want to know I'm not privileged. I don't have that because I've lived a hard life and I, this thing has happened. And the whole conversation of a privilege and you put white in front of it doesn't mean that the person hasn't suffered, they not struggled, they not gone through hardship. It essentially means that the system that was created long before any of us got here that advantaged some and disadvantaged others, just your color is not going to be one of the things that you have to overcome in your process of going through life. That's not going to be one of those things. But I think that we should look at privilege not as a scarlet letter, but as a leadership opportunity. The scriptures tell us in Philippians 2 that there was one that had divine privilege, and his name is Jesus. And he divested himself his divine privilege to bring salvation to all of us. So if I have an opportunity, if I've been given a responsibility or access, the scriptures tell us to whom much is given, much is required. So if I've been given much, the Lord requires us to do much with what we've been given. Mm -hmm. So for, um, you know, my white brothers and sisters that are listening to this and many other people that have platforms, it's like, okay, how can I use my platform, my opportunity, my access to advantage the grace of Jesus Christ through the life or the leadership or the voice of a person of color that has a different perspective that I, that I do, and I can learn from them. I think that we're essentially doing this right now. You know, you talked about how Don has, um, you know, done the, the, the Freedom Challenge and all of that. Well, I'm here as a result of a relationship with her. And you, uh, you guys are providing an opportunity for someone to share a perspective that is not white. And so those are the type of partnerships mm -hmm. that we have to create to be able to bring transformation and change um, to the country of America. But I believe going outside of looking at this as a global 
awakening around justice. And we as the people of God should not be at the end of the line. We should be leading the cause and the movement um, for justice um, on the globe. You know, and it's interesting that you say that, Pastor Newman, because at the end of the day, who else? Who else holds the keys to understanding what reconciliation is all about but the church? I mean, let's face it. This is all about reconciliation. The, the very work that Christ did on the cross was God's desire to be in fellowship and relationship with his creation. But there was this big thing in the way called sin, and we just we just couldn't get over the idea that we weren't going to be able to hold the law. And so the Lord finally said, you know what, I'm, I'm, we're going to do one final, one final sacrifice here, and it's going to be the lamb that I will provide without spot or blemish that will be the sacrifice for all men, for all time, for all sin, for all mankind. So, I mean, the very center of the core of the gospel message is about reconciliation. In that case, reconciliation between the the, the, the creation and very God himself. So of all whom ought to be capable of transmitting or shepherding or sharing this message, it ought to be we the church. Moreover, and I think what's sort of missing from the current dialogue here today is the fact that the last great attempt to address this issue in America from the late 1950s in through um, the 1960s was the fact that on the forefront of the protests then was the church. And somehow we've kind of lost our way there. I'd like to talk about that when we come back after a time out. We're visiting today with Pastor Julian Newman. He is co-pastor at Tribes Church, along with lead and founding pastor, Pastor Don Scott Damon. We're wrestling through some tough issues. Get used to it, folks, because this is going to be with us for a long time until we learn and understand and begin to sow Seeds of hope, seeds of forgiveness, seeds of change. A time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. Let's get a look at traffic for you right now. I realize we just skipped entirely over one traffic break, so let's figure out what's going on for you with the latest. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. We are visiting today with the founding pastor of Tribes Church, Pastor Dawn Scott Damon, whom you all well know from her recent uh, Bible study series with us, The Freedom Challenge, 60 Days to Untie the Cords That Bind You. She's been a guest several times on the program down through the years. With us is the co-pastor of Tribes Church, Pastor Julian Newman. We're talking about uh, this broader issue that America, that the church is struggling with, and that is dealing with the topic of, of racism, race relations. And I think we've all been confronted by misgivings, misnotions, misconceptions. Now the issue is, are we willing to admit to them, repent of them, and b borrowing from Second Chronicles 7.14, turn from our wicked ways, seek God's face, and see a healing in our land. And I, and I truly do believe, Pastor Damon, it really starts with the church. I mean, you know, truth be told, the civil rights movement found its genesis within the church, albeit almost singularly back in the 1950s and 60s with the black church, but it was the church nevertheless. And it seems if we know so much and have received so much and have been privileged and blessed so much, we have an obligation to do something with that, don't we? 
Yes, it's just like Pastor Julian said a moment ago, to who much has been given, much is required. And mm. I should say this, by the way, Pastor Julian co-founded the church with me, so we did this work together because we really wanted to have a church that would not just look like heaven, but love like heaven, sound like heaven, talk like heaven, and to take back this place where the church must be a leader in this conversation. And we've abdicated. We've, we've allowed the world to take the narrative, and we've stepped away from it. I think, you know, whatever's not comfortable, we tend to shy away from. We don't want to look. And we think that if, if sometimes if we don't address it, we think it doesn't exist. Well, it didn't. It didn't just go away. It's been this whole area of racism and prejudice and systemic racism, an unfair advantage for dominant culture and the oppression of black people. We should be speaking about this injustice all along, but for some reason the church got comfortable and decided it didn't need to be a part of the conversation and it was comfortable to ignore it and then we wonder why every now and then it bubbles up and we have these outbursts i think now we've seen that the the straw that broke the camel's back with the death of george floyd and the the murder of george floyd that the church is now saying we've got to get back into this god forgive us and it's not just Repenting, you know, uh, Craig, member of Promise Keepers back in the 80s or 90s, beautiful movement, and, but it was there was a lot of racial reconciliation, and we washed each other's feet, and we had all of this demonstration, but then we moved away from it once again because this conversation is difficult. It takes humility. More than these outward demonstrations, we need revival in the inward parts of our being, our spirit, man, our soul, we need to have true repentance, but not just repentance, a change of heart with action to do something different. Well, that's just it. I mean, you know, repentance leads to salvation. Salvation begins that process of sanctification. And, and of course, that sanctification in our relationship with God should slowly, bit by bit, move us closer and closer to that sense of of perfectionism, of working out our salvation, as Paul said, Mm -hmm. of of being, uh, you know, completed in Christ. And yet somehow when it comes to the racial issue, we feel as if we can just repent of the big stuff, although clearly we see these days we haven't done a very good job of that either. Yeah. And then just kind of want to skip over the rest. And I think there, there's where a big part of the failure is that, you know, true sign of repentance is the beginning to change of life and of attitude. And, uh, you know, the old adage, we'll know them by their love, we'll know them too by their works. And sadly, a lot of that has been missing. So missing. And um, Julian, jump in here too, because okay. this, is the, this is exactly the work that we were committed to. And it's not been popular, has it? <laughs> Oh, not at all. And, and it's, it's one of those things where, um, you know, when you start to step into this, the the blowback or the pushback can be very intense, and we've both mm-hmm. uh, experienced that, you know, together and separately along the way. I think, you know, Don talked about we want to not just look like heaven, but we want to sound like heaven. And so I think, you know, there's a lot of things that are happening right now in corporate America. I just read today that uh, that Quaker is going to change the Aunt Jemima 
um, pancake mix and all of those things yes. and Uncle Ben. And I saw that. Things that <laughs> I saw that. So that's awesome that that's happening, but it's important for us to recognize it isn't just what we look like, even though that's a part of the conversation, but it's what happens after that. Because like the promise keepers, out the outward signs of movement, but if we don't change the system and we don't address the roots of the problem, then it just continues to happen over and over again. And so mm-hmm. doing the surface work should be the outflow of the foundational work. But we have a tendency to do the surface stuff and not do the foundational things. If we get the roots right, the branches take care of themselves. But if we don't address mm-hmm. the roots, we have to continue to deal with the branches. And so we have these you know, race quakes over the course of years. You know, everything that's happened in the last six to ten years, way back in the 90s and Rodney King and all the things that have happened. It's like, why do we keep having these situations over and over again? I would submit that we have not we have not really faced it. And when we have faced it, we've done it at a surface level. So the change or the transition or transformation is not sustainable. A foot washing service is awesome. But if I don't have, if I'm not living in relationship with people that have a different experience in me, then it's a place that I visit, but it's not a neighborhood in which I live. If we look at the example of Jesus, the Bible says that he came and he went and lived in our neighborhood. So he didn't save us from afar, but he came and brought redemption um, and salvation up close. And if we're going to bring change to our communities and as the people of God lead the way, we're not going to be able to do it from afar. We're not going to be able to do it in a visitation or a vacation. It's going to have to be a life change, transition, transformation, and we're going to have to do it through the proximity of authentic relationship. And and is it true, too, that this needs to be approached not only from the standpoint of, of acknowledgement of just how deep broad, wide, this problem is, but to also begin to understanding, to, to understand that, that, you know, one of the important places to start is just to simply to acknowledge. They say that in 12-step programs, right? The first thing you need to do is acknowledge that you have a problem. And I find even there sometimes white people tend to be dismissive we don't intend to be i you know as we discussed earlier i don't think pastor giglio intended to suggest that there was some blessing of god inherent to slavery because a certain percentage of americans benefited from it but it came out that way and 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 i'll give you a case in point and i've heard it repeatedly over the last many years somebody says Black lives matter, and the counter is, well, all lives matter. And, and well, okay, and there, there's, there's truism to that, but let, let me, here's the way I delineate it. Remember the Boston bombing and, and yeah. the terrible tragedy there during the Boston Marathon? And in, in the weeks and months following that, you saw all over the country people sporting T-shirts and carrying signs and things that said, Boston strong, Right. Yeah. Now, at no point during that time did somebody stand up and say, wait a minute, San Francisco's strong too. Or when the tragedy of the mass shooting happened in Las Vegas a couple of years ago. And all over the nation as this dialogue about weapons 
was taking place, you would see people and protesters with signs that say, we stand with Las Vegas. Nobody in Charlotte stood up and said, well, don't you stand with us? It was in the moment to understand that there's hurt, there's pain, we need to have acknowledgement, there needs to be compassion, and it isn't to diminish and say that, that what Boston went through is worse than somebody else or better than somebody. It's just to say, hey, right now we recognize at this time Boston is hurting, and we wish to acknowledge that. Is there a sense of almost diminishing this when when we counter phrases with regard to trying to value who African Americans are as fellow citizens and, and people created in God's image just like the rest of us when we suddenly try to counter with, oh, well, this is valuable too? Well, what do you think? I personally do. I think what an incredible um, deflection that is when we can't just sit in the moment and acknowledge that black lives matter. I love your analogy. Another analogy could be, you know, if I stub my toe and I reach down and I hold my toe and I say, oh, my goodness, poor toe, my hand doesn't scream out and say, well, wait a minute, what about me? You know, let's surround the part of the body that's hurting and that's wounded right now, that's traumatized. What say you, Pastor Julian? Oh, absolutely. Here's how I would say as a an African-American um, Jesus follower, it has been so challenging to deal with this atmosphere of dismissal, this environment that says it really doesn't matter, um, get over it, don't worry about it, we're all human beings and all of those mm-hmm. things, because there is a... Um, you know, the Bible talks about the ancient boundary stones. It talks about generational sin. And this, uh, this original sin, this ancient uh, wrong, is something that I carry. It is something I've been born into. It's something that my father mm-hmm. experienced as a, as a boy in the segregated South. His parents um, connected to sharecropping. And, and all the different things, we're connected to this ancient pain that um, those of us that we, those that we worship with, those that we spend time with, those that we go to prayer meetings with and small group with are saying, no, no, that doesn't matter. It's not that big of a deal. The fact that you are carrying this pain or you struggle or it hurts, shouldn't, it shouldn't hurt. And so as, uh, as a black man in America... When I see some of the things that I've seen over the course of years, the question that I ask, not as a pastor, not as a leader, as not as an entrepreneur, but as a human being in this country, I ask, could I be next? Could that be my mm-hmm. experience? Can I have a situation that goes wrong and all of a sudden I'm a hashtag or I'm on a video or I'm in a situation mm-hmm. like that? So those are this, – this conversation for some people mm-hmm. – is very either theological, it's philosophical, it's an ideological discussion. But for others of us, this is a very personal, um, mm-hmm. very, very uh, intimate conversation because mm-hmm. in some circumstances, lives, futures, families are deeply impacted on what's happening in our communities. And so for me, when I watch the video of George Floyd, when I read about the death of Amon Arbery, when I hear about Breonna Taylor, Richard, um, uh, um, the, the gentleman in Atlanta had just 
um, was killed a couple days ago. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, hey, could that be me? And I see myself in that scenario. And so for those that say I don't understand, it, it, for, for, for others it's very personal. And, and, and I would just ask for people to say, I don't get it. I would just say um, the Bible says that we're in the family of God. And so me as a black man, I'm a part of your family. And so if someone is, was in trouble that was you were related to, you would go to the, the, the ends of the earth to try to get your kid in the right situation or your, your mom, your uncle, your brother, your sister, your wife, your husband, that person that you love, you would go to the ends of the earth to make sure that they were safe, they were okay, that they were taken care of. And so what I would say to my white brothers and sisters, the, the, the scriptures say that we're family, and I'm asking you to love me as your family. Mm-hmm. You know, I think of the average man, for example, Pastor, who would um, hear a store clerk talk rudely to his wife, right? Yeah. What would the natural reaction be? Yeah, hey, immediately we rise up and we interject ourselves. You can't talk to my wife that way. There, there's mm-hmm. a sense of wanting to be protective of mm-hmm. the one that we love. There's a sense of wanting to, and we men in particular have this tendency to come in and to fix the situation because we recognize, we acknowledge that there's some kind of a wrong that's been done here. This man has talked rudely to my wife, and I'm not going to tolerate. I am going to defend her honor. Mm-hmm. And I guess in, in some ways what you're saying is you're just asking for the same kind of treatment. And it's, it's not only the human thing to do, it's the right thing to do. If you love somebody you'll show them and and maybe maybe one of the biggest sins here is that the 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 overall church the broader church just hasn't done a very good job and i bring it back to that because this is who we're talking to right this is the audience i bring it back to that that in many ways it sounds like we have just failed and failed miserably to even acknowledge the wound or to spend the moment i had my producer today uh, quoting a pastor who said, you know, you think of Jesus hanging out with the disciples. And at the moment in which he had the encounter with the woman at the well, he said, now, let me go over here. I need to talk to this woman. Did, did they rise up and say, hey, what about me? You can't abandon us. Don't leave us alone here. What are we going to do without you? No, he went and he ministered. And when he was done acknowledging her hurt, acknowledging her sin, and speaking healing to her, he returned back with the disciples. And it's almost as if we're jealous, almost as if we think there's a limitation to the amount of love or compassion that we have the capacity of sharing. And i got to ask the question, and, and I think it's a valid one for myself as well, and that is, what's it going to hurt to just stop for a minute and acknowledge there's a lot that's wrong here? And a lot of us have been four years doing it and thinking it and acting it, and getting away with it, and never having to be held to be accountable or to have to be answerable for our involvement, be it great or small, aggressive or passively, th- there's there's plenty of culpability to go around. You know, again, Second Chronicles 7.14, he doesn't say some of you, he says, if my church, 
And I think there is one of the big challenges that we are facing, and that is, and, and you said this so well earlier, Pastor Newman, that we just can't have this for the moment or engage in one or two outward demonstrative sessions. This this isn't, well, I think on Saturday, if it wasn't for COVID-19, I'll invite some black folks from church over to dinner <laughs> and say, see, there, we've done it. We've proven that we're not racial. We've proven that we welcome anybody into our home. And then we go back to life as normal, not recognizing the, the great and subtle offenses that African-Americans in this country go through every single day. And I, I guess, again, coming back to full circle to what I had asked at the top of the hour, and that is that maybe one of the big problems here is that we're so busy talking that we can't take the time enough to shut up and hear from others. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. And not only just to listen, but to experience the beauty of diversity this is one of the joys that when it is working well at Tribe Church, which we get our name from Revelation 7-9, that around the throne of God is every nation, tongue, and tribe, and they were all worshiping God together, and they were in one place, and there was a sound that was unique to this multicultural tribe. And that's the joy of coming together. There's beauty. There's strength. There's such joy in the mosaic of God that why would you want to live in such a monochromatic world, such a one-dimensional world? And this goes back to, as you said, the top of the hour in, in Bless Our Brother, uh, Pastor Giglio, but he didn't even know what he was saying when he was saying the words. Um, sometimes w- w- this is part of white privilege, that we don't have to be in this conversation if we don't want to be. But that is not true of our black friends and brothers and sisters. Every day they think about it. Every day they have to face it. Every day it is their reality. And so it's time for the church to grieve with those that grieve, rejoice with those that rejoice, get in this together, one body, the body of Jesus Christ, and not only just repent of prejudice and racism and hatred, but move beyond it into the beauty that is so available when we embrace that. Pastor Julian and I, our lives are so enriched because of this journey. Yeah, it's been uh, moments of just, I'll say it, hell on earth. It's been all hell has pushed against us, but it's been worth it. Can you both stay with me for a few more minutes? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I can. Great. Okay, because we've got to take care of a little business here. They're going to come in with a shepherd's crook in, <laughs> in a moment. <laughs> uh, but uh, we, 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 uh, and, you know, as we've indicated, this is this is the uh, this is the next chapter in a dialogue that can and must go on for a very very long time and and i recognize Mm -hmm. and we'll talk about this after the break i recognize that there are some that say well this makes me feel uncomfortable i i this is where i'd rather step out it's just easier for Mm -hmm. me to step out of the conversation at this point the problem is as pastor damon alluded to a moment ago african-americans don't get that choice they can't just temporarily step out of their skin color there's no such thing they have to own it because that's where they live. 
And likewise, I think, for the rest of us who do have such a great privilege that we can at will seemingly step out of the conversation when it gets uncomfortable, now I'm suggesting we all need to own that sense of uncomfortableness. When that video went viral, minutes after it happened virtually there on uh, Memorial Day, I, I forced myself to watch it multiple times. I, it, 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 it absolutely turned my stomach, but I, but I forced myself to sit through it because I wanted it to be burned into my mind and consciousness because it's emblematic of so much of what our brothers and sisters deal with every day. And I got to tell you, you think these cases are rare, far, extreme, rare? They're not. In fact, they happen so much more often in this nation, in city after city, community after community, you know what we we just have to come to we have to come to terms with this we have a problem and it is a big problem and if we expect, expect to see the outcome to be a healthy one a god honoring one then we as the church are going to have to take the lead not be the tail but be the head let's take that time out i promised and we're going to come back to more of our conversation with us today is Pastor Don Scott Damon, along with Pastor Julian Newman, both co-founders of the Tribes Church, located in Rockford, Michigan. All right, let's see what things are like a bit closer to home, closer than Rockford, <laughs> right here at home in the Bay Area, traffic-wise.